Are you set? Look at that. Okay. We're here. All right, guys. Welcome back for today's uh, live broadcast or podcast for that matter. Whatever so. the heck we're doing. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a bunch of us sitting in the studio. We're four spotting it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, round of introductions, of course. Uh, oh. Dr. Am Caroline, as always. Yeah, yes. I was going to say. Yes. I don't know that I need Michigan State. Yes. And then, of course, Ben. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, I'm ben. always here. Yeah. I got to push the buttons. Yeah. That's right, true. right. 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 Yes. Physically. Yes. 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 But yeah, Brie, excited to have you with us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I was super thrilled yesterday was my first day and I got to yeah. scrub into your GDV and I was super stoked about that because I was like a complete business casual, like not prepared to be like in surgery. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll yeah. do it. I'll get in there. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. He, for more. he rolled up and I saw he put his scrub cap on and I was like, oh, we're doing jeans casual surgery day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yes. I had already prepped for my day one way and then got the call and Katie and I were like, oh, time to go. <laughs> and it's, I'm like, listen, I have a 1.30 I can't miss. You know, I, I made did it. Did you ask did you make it? I made it. Five minutes to stay? I did. I did. I did. And so actually, I was, I was surprisingly, I was there before the contractor. So it was pretty good. Nice. That's wow. atypical for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so today, um, I actually put a poll out, um, on Instagram to be like, Hey, what should we talk about? Cause mm-hmm. I had a couple different ideas, Caroline and I couldn't make up our minds. Correct. Um, so figured we'd crowdsource that and, um, turned into kind of a follow up to, um, when Brie, we had mm-hmm. our last podcast with you about, uh, Caroline's theory about mm-hmm. flipping a coin. Um, and when it's in the air, uh, if you feel like you want it to land one way, just go that way. Right. And having kind of that screening mechanism, essentially, and trusting your guts. And um, I think there's a lot of different ways that that conversation can go. Um, I have a few different ideas or whatever. But um, just to start it out, um, yeah. you know, kind of where did that come from, from you, Caroline? And kind of what have you practiced that? Kind Actually, of yes. Okay. Um, well, and I say that it came from my brain, but my fiance Evan is convinced that I must have read it somewhere because he's like, "There's no way that you came up with that," on your own. <laughs> <laughs> which is entirely no. plausible. No, no, but full yeah, credit. Yeah, full credit. Yeah. Full credit. No, but you so I, I did look it up after, because Ben was like, "Did you come up with that all by yourself?" And I was like, "I don't know. It just exists in my mind somewhere." Yeah. And so I looked it up, and actually, there is. I sent you that study. Um, yeah. there was a psych, uh, a psychology study that they did like, or at least published it a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, where they took groups of participants and they made them, I can't remember what the different questions were, but I think they did like, um, levels, sort of levels of severity questions. So like more serious or like progressively more, um, you know, complicated decisions. And then they did the, um, yeah, like the coin flip test. And they basically found that it didn't influence how people made their decision. Mm. Like basically I think one person had like a running clock and then the other people had like the flipping coin and the people that observed the flipping coin made the decision faster. Like they were that much more efficient at Mm -hmm. making a definitive decision Mm -hmm. than the people who just had the rotating clock. Like Mm -hmm. it takes you longer to get there because you're not trusting your gut. You're overthinking it. Yeah. And so um, I just thought that was super interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was published. I could look it up, but uh, like back in like 2018 or 2019. Yeah, I was say, I'm pretty sure it was 2018. Yeah. 
So yeah, no, that was it was an interesting thought, and I kind of just wanted to follow up on it and see kind of how you guys have been able to translate it both in vet school, uh, as you are in the middle of it right now, but also in practice with you guys, and maybe how that's impacted medicine, communication with caregivers, anything like that, life decisions. You know, Caroline, you jumping yeah. from California to right. all over the place. Um, Carlo, you buying a clinic that was you know floundering at best um, yeah. Brie going to vet school um, I have examples of my own but they yeah. are not necessarily sure. audience specific yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think uh, to start off with uh, Brie I don't know if you have anything offhand but I would love to kind of start off yeah. with you yeah even just getting to vet school I think I've done a lot of that like just trusting the gut decision I'm originally from Ohio but mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to go to Michigan State for vet school just by being there I just felt like it was this is really cliche but to say like home or like people were just really honest and open with me about how I'm going to get to vet school mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved that but being from Ohio and out-of-state tuition is like astronomical like mm -hmm. you like it's ridiculous so I was like how is this going to happen <laughs> how can I do this so I like researched all the schools that um, were getting students into Michigan State that wasn't Michigan State because they're expensive okay and so I went I chose northern Michigan which was like they had five students almost every year get into vet school which was okay. pretty substantial like yeah. with everybody else in the area so I went there and I was still out of state mm -hmm. but then everyone you could become an in-state resident mm -hmm. um, but you had oh. to go through all these loopholes with them and I was like everyone told me you can't it can it won't happen everyone gets denied it's just not gonna happen and I was like challenge accepted challenge accepted <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did it I uh, I worked super hard I stayed the whole entire summer I wrote this huge essay about like point a b c of like why I should have in-state tuition and how I can't afford hmm. to get out and then there there was a two-year dorm rule too okay and yeah. the dorms were pricey yeah so and they said oh you can't get out of that like there's no way there's no you can't get out of the dorms and I was like another challenge accepted <laughs> so I wrote this huge a huge essay and then end up getting out of the dorms a year early became an in-state resident okay and then my thought process was well if I'm an in-state resident by the time I get to Michigan State I'll be in-state right mm -hmm. but then I was like okay it's gonna work out fine well my whole plan goes according to plan and then the the week I submit my application to Michigan State they send me an email and say oh by the way you're out of state you will pay out-of-state tuition and you will compete against out-of-state students oh. so whole life's plan wow. down the trash. And I was like, cool. But I was like, I feel like, I feel like this is going to work out. Mm -hmm. So lo and behold, I, I compete out of state. I get in out of state all the way up until a month before school starts. We get our bills. I have in-state tuition. Uh, nice. Like nothing. I was like, oh, like this is, this is surreal. Like, <laughs> right. There's no way. There's right. no way. I knew this was to happen, but right. I just didn't know like how it was going to happen. Wow. So, I'm an in-state resident at Michigan State, and I can't. Wow. People ask me how I did it. I'm like, honestly, like, yeah. <laughs> there's no hard evidence to say how I got it. Right. I didn't look into it because I didn't want to cause issues for me that, like, yeah. maybe it was a mistake. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it was, but I don't know. So <laughs> little do you know, you're gonna get like a bill in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> like, Here, pay like, us another twenty thousand dollars. I know. I'm waiting for it to be like, <laughs> oh, by the way, you owe us. And I'll be yeah. like, nope, nope. <laughs> you can have my DVD. I'm gonna, now. I'm gonna just bleep out all the details, or I'm just gonna block. Yeah. But I'm gonna block that. <laughs> part right. from being able yeah. to be yeah. seen yeah. somewhere in East Lansing. Yeah, I have mentioned it to him before and they're like, I don't know how you got it either. And I'm like, I don't know. Don't I felt know. like it was going to work out. So, and, and it has so far and I've kind of had a, like a path that way of mm -hmm. 
just going for it as much as I can. And then it just ends up working out as much as it possible. So yeah, I I don't know. I guess I'm just really happy that it's worked out this far and I don't have this huge bill. And I'm super happy that I chose Michigan State amongst all the things that I've been um, offered there for sure. So so was that kind of your plan originally? Was that you wanted to go to MSU for vet school? Yep. I wanted to go to Michigan State. I just couldn't afford Michigan State out of state tuition. It was like 40 grand for undergrad. And I was like, Mm -hmm. there's no way. Like I'm completely on my own um, for school. So yeah, I chose to go to a smaller school. Yep. Super happy I did. I had amazing, phenomenal experiences there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then ended up getting me in state tuition. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I think there's something to that, though. And, you know, just seeing that today's thing was about trust your gut. I, I don't think that trusting your gut should be confused with luck. Because th- those yeah. are t- those are two totally yep. different mm-hmm. things. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, not to completely interject my kind of viewpoint on trusting your gut, but it's highly strategic. You know, so that when you're kind of saying that, I'm like, oh, that's actually a very strategic way to go about mm-hmm. getting into veterinary school. Like I know for me, I mean, I was, I was from, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan originally, so I, I didn't really have the out of state thing, but like I hadn't considered being like, okay, researching how many students from each school yeah. are then accepted. I know that was my thought too. Yeah, like, yeah wow. kudos. That's pretty good. <laughs> that you was know. high school me yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but again, it's, so it's, you're exactly right. There, there is a part where it is a little bit caution to the wind because there are factors that are out of your control. I mean, we talk about the victimhood all the time where it's like there's just things that you're made to believe that you're powerless against, but that doesn't mean you can't create new avenues. It's like this and this and this and this. It's like, no, you, yeah, that was like like collaboration and creativity at its best. And that, and then it worked. And that yeah. should be like highly intoxicating because it <laughs> only goes, it gets better than that, you know? Yep. Um, it was actually kind of, it, it dovetails a little bit into one of the thoughts that I had about this whole thing. And because I think the, um, the, the, the core of the idea of trusting your gut is, um, is kind of trusting yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things is I was contemplating what we were going to talk about uh, that came to mind was why do we have a trouble trusting our gut? Yeah. You know, why do we not believe like that our intuition is right? And I think a, the, one of the biggest parts of that is that we haven't gained trust in ourselves. Yeah. We haven't gone through the preparation. We haven't gone through the work to essentially earn the trust from ourselves. And I think that highlights kind of what you're saying is like, well, you already did that. You, yeah. you went through the process and it's like, man, this is going to work out. Why is it going to work out? Well, it's not because I threw caution to the wind and I just threw, on a whim, right. I was going to hope. It's like, no, I busted my ass to do this. And I'm, this is going to work. Like yeah. I know I've done everything that I can to make this work. And I'm going to, I'm going to do the next thing that I have to, to make it work as well. And you, you earned that process of trusting your gut and saying that that was the right thing to do, even though you did take a pretty substantial financial risk with the, 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 right, the, the, right. the difference between those in-state and out-state numbers. Um, but you, you had that faith. And, and I think that's one of the things that I pr- had struggled with a long time, but you know, in college and out, out of college was didn't really do enough of the work to be like, this is the right decision. Mm. It was just like, this feels right. <laughs> but also I have yeah. no idea. Um, is that kind of what you were getting at uh, well, last week? Um, well, last week it was much more two simple. Weeks two weeks yeah. ago. It was much more simple than that because it was just tr- trying to help remake a decision between uh, like one mediocre you. choice and another mediocre yeah. choice. <laughs> so it was a little bit different context. But it's interesting that you bring up, yeah, like the basically it's the confidence yeah. and competence yeah. chart again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is that like, I, so I went for the 
law of like probability when I applied to vet school. So I applied to like six schools mm. and then I'm just like, it's a game of numbers. Like I will get in somewhere because yeah. I'm just going to apply to a bunch of places. But what's interesting is that um, like, so when I was younger and like my decision to go to vet school, I was very like, I was able to trust my gut very implicitly and was like, this is what I'm doing. This is the right decision for me. Like I'm going to do it. And my dad would always try to ask because my dad is, his motto is at work. I'm paid to worry at home. It's my hobby. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So grow up, grow up with that in your head. Right. Um, this is why I am the way I am. <laughs> but, uh, but so he was super freaked out about me not getting into vet school, not because he didn't believe that I couldn't do it mm -hmm. but he was just concerned like what if she doesn't do it like what what then and so he would always try to ask me like what's your plan b and i'm like plan b is try again mm -hmm. and he's like what's plan c and i'm like try again <laughs> like <laughs> like this will happen it yeah. just is like a matter of time so like that trusting my gut and knowing that like that's the right decision for me and i just put all my eggs in one basket and said one of them's got hatch mm -hmm. basically um, but I don't know where I lost that along the way. Cause I would say that like now being older, I'm just starting to try and get it back. Mm -hmm. Like we have talked a lot in here about imposter syndrome and how a lot of veterinarians suffer from imposter syndrome. And I think that and overthinking things makes it extremely difficult to trust your gut. It sort of drowns out that inner voice that's telling you, you know, this is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of how do you get back to that? Yeah. And I, I don't want uh, the education system to, you know, be perceived as a persecutor. But that's I, part of it. It's part of it. You know, but I, I think part of, part of one of my issues with, with higher education, and this isn't just school specific, but it's, I think I've talked about the podcast before. It's like you take the top 10% mm -hmm. and then now all of a sudden they're the 100% mm -hmm. that needs to strap back out to being top 1%, 5%, and then lower 50%. And it's like, but we're so incredibly intelligent. Like right. you don't get there without actually being able to do the work, put in the work. And then also, I mean, that's part of the application process. The application process is a veterinary school essentially assessing potential. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. So, you know, according to our star charts and everything is that the, the idea of veterinary students coming in is that they're supposed to be by our definition, problem child, you know, where it's an incredible amount of potential, but no performance in this setting. The mm -hmm. performance you had before was high school, undergraduate, you know, uh, Brie Kraut how was to make actually you the best student. How, yeah, 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 they want yeah to kind of select out that best student, um, and that's you know kind of the same thing. We're like Plan A, B, C. Mm -hmm. The same thing with uh, Kraut, where she was the same thing. It was just like I didn't get in, but I'm gonna keep doing, and then eventually it hit, and then now getting through it, it's the same exact story. It's you know when you sort of have that you know like end goal, it's you know the goals in stone and plans and sand. Just keep writing the plans, but you want to make sure you have those goals. But to say where you kind of lost it along the way, that mm -hmm. it's like when you take the top. 10% and be like, who's like the smartest of the ultra smart of the really smart. Yeah. And then it's just like, well, obviously I'm the dumbass, right. you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, be. must be, <laughs> you know, like, and that, you know, so, so I think, you know, that's, that's like, I don't necessarily joke about imposter syndrome, but I just say there's really no time for it and there's no real place for it. 
Um, and that, you know, not, not necessarily say, you know, what got me into veterinary school and everything else. I just didn't think anything else was actually going to happen. Like it was just, well, obviously I'm going to do undergrad in two years and obviously mm-hmm. I'm going to get into veterinary school and obviously I'm going to graduate. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't really have much of a plan B or C. It was just, this is clearly what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of going the other way where it, it is, uh, like I said, I think in hindsight now being a business owner and doing what it is we're doing with PAW is that I, I think it's, you know, to breathe, it's, it's actually, there is a lot more strategy to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just for me, I think in my brain, I was like, well, clearly this is the only way because everything else has lined up to make that the only path, you know? So it it seemed like it was particularly easy, but then you forget all the hard work that goes into it. You know, it's, it's why I joke all the time with, you know, the success of our business. I'm like, well, obviously this is what was going to happen. And it's like, yeah, through, (laughs) you know, blood, tears, you know, like, you know, yeah, constant, right. Just Ace Ventura, like showers, you know, just like, you know, like just 20 pieces of bubble gum. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think uh, to go along with kind of where did you lose it to? Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, um, the the ba- it, there's there's a balance, and it actually I wrote down a quote that was from Einstein. It was the intuitive mind, or you know, the one who listens to their intuition. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Uh, okay. Like, how many times do you have that thought of like? I have to just do like the, the essentially the normal thing or like the right thing to do. And I think that's for me, that, that's been the biggest struggle is like trusting my gut versus what like my, the, the rational or like the outside influence is telling me what to do. And sometimes overweighing that because for, you know, fear of judgment or failure or whatever that might be. I think that's where a lot of people kind of like quelch down that that passion and the, like listening to their intuition and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I think people listen to you so much is you tend to not do that and you know obviously it's it's shown through and you know there's been stumbling blocks along the way um, but that at least for me has been my, my biggest barrier in trying to rationalize Actually, you kind of brought it up when you were talking about uh, with with uh, when it was, well, we have to build a new building. And Dane was like, well, you clearly know oh, how yes. all of this works. It's like, well, my gut knows. Yeah. I don't have any of this yes. written down. <laughs> yeah. But I know that this is right. And being able to go through that, getting that into a rational state is a really hard thing to do. That comes with practice. That comes with time, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But if you can't get there and you, can, right. and you need that for that decision to be made, that can be a really hard bridge to kind of get over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why actually I even kind of laugh when you look at a lot of the like corporate models and those Mm -hmm. type of things they want to know how much uh, money you're making per minute you know and it's like yeah you you need to turn this much and this invoice and that and that and i'm just like lol you know like you know like you know if you're concerned about that then you're going to fail yeah you fucking white collars you know like you know it's and i mean there 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 is a respectable amount i mean you know from a business ownership standpoint i mean right from day one our accountants were i mean even to this day we get monthly financials so i mean we have a pulse on the practice as far as kind of knowing what's in and out and you know payrolls and all those different things so you just get a feel for it Mm -hmm. it's the same thing it's like when dan was like i bet you get calculated down to then i'm like yeah i mean (laughs) you know (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and, but I mean, but again, it's the same thing. It's sort of just passing off the gut feel, um, you know, as sort of logic, which it is because again, it is very strategic, and you have you know a lot of numbers to back up what's happening, and you have to look at the trends of what's happening, and then it's like, well, obviously, this is the next most logical step to build a new practice yeah. because if we continue on our growth curve per year, we're gonna get choked out. You know, yeah. I mean, I, Brie, you're actually probably one of the few who have driven past the old building. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I stared at it this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, like, how? Yeah. <laughs> how? Yeah, 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 so barely. I have a thought about this, though. I wonder if, because you're saying that, that even your gut intuition is more based in logic and data. Yeah. But do you think that that's dependent on whether or not you're a high theoretical person? Like, did you, you took your disc analysis? Yeah, yeah, I did. But I had taken it like a year ago because oh, I was originally going to okay. come last um, summer. And oh, like, yeah, I would yeah. love to take it again just because I think a lot has changed in that year. And when I took it, it was like my personal relationships were not great at the time too. Okay. So there was like a lot of influence in other aspects, yeah. but I don't remember. You were high, okay. th you were high right. theoretically. Probably, either, but right? I'm very deep, like, detail yeah. oriented. Usually. Yeah. So, but like, I wonder if because the three of us are all, I don't know what your, how high your theoretical is. It it's is a, pretty high. high Dang it. See, we don't have a good yours litmus is, test. Yours is like your second or third. Well, the thing is, oh. though, Carol, I can I can tell you why. Okay, good. Um, so as it relates to, to um, as it relates to values in a, a sense of analysis or needing to be able to rationalize those decisions actually wouldn't necessarily come from being a high theoretical person. Okay. High theoretical would be wanting to know, um, like all just wanting all the gizmos, to know. Like how I, all the pieces. Right, how gotcha. do they? How does this fit together? Um, I, I, yours, um, you are not. It's high, but it's not high. It's not your highest. You don't lead with theoretical. Katie leads with theoretical. Okay. Like so, when that process probably went through, she was probably like, "Can we write some of this down, please? I'd really <laughs> like to know how yeah. this is going to work." Uh, yes. Uh, if I may, so imply situation. I, I'm fairly certain I have heard those words. What <laughs> <laughs> more than once? Um, but the um, the needing to write things down would actually be more of a behavioral tendency okay. and also a processing things. So it would be um, from a behavioral sense, if we're more of a high C type person, high analytical behavioral style, but also if we are low in systems judgment and needing to work our way through the process, one, two, three, four, five, if we're heavy on practical thinking. Okay. Uh, with Carlo being more systems, uh, being middle theoretical, um, you are a high C. Yeah. Uh, we actually, we have three high ICs in the room. No shit. I don't shit. remember if yours was or not. I'm going to have to look. Um, so that's a little bit unique. But um, we, we still have, there's this sense of uh, being analytical, but it's also, you're not, you're not being choked down by requiring it, essentially. When gotcha. you pair some of those variables together, that's when it becomes... Um, hamster wheel? Hamster wheel. <laughs> uh, if you pair a high S, because yeah. like a high okay. SC is the, the accountant type behavioral yeah. profile. Like, I'm going to move slow and I'm going to make sure all my P's and Q's are in order. So yeah. there's a lot of things that you can pair together, but it wouldn't necessarily be theoretical. Gotcha. So, so, oh, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I was going to say, yeah. Caroline, when you were talking on this, like about um, vet school, like you don't know where it, where it lost, like along the way of yeah. like going. And I instantly was like, it's vet school. Yeah. I know. Because I can, right now I'm in it and I can yeah. feel the gut going yeah. away. Yeah. Because you, you get hit constantly with the humble. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you're humbled. Like all the things that I'm like, oh, it'll just work out. It'll just work out. I have repeatedly been like, 
crap. Like, just yeah, it didn't work out. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. heck, like I put the work in and yeah. it didn't work out. Yeah. Like this, this semester especially, we've been completely online this whole year and it's definitely been humbling and I can feel the gut feeling just whipping away. Yeah. Because now like even if I'm trusting my gut, it doesn't always work out. And I think a lot of trust your gut is the outcome. And if it's successful, you're like, great, like this is working. But when you repeatedly yeah. get hit with like, this is not working, like my gut's no longer trustable. Right. <laughs> I can't trust it. So yeah. I feel like a lot of it, like when you were talking that, I was like, tough vet school. Like yeah. instantly I'm, I'm feeling it slip away as we speak. You're just getting like yeah. beaten down yeah, to like, the point where like you, anymore and yeah. there's no like, you're not getting praised for it. You're not getting success. And you're like, yeah. well, this gut doesn't work anymore. So I need something new to hold on to. Yeah. And that's rational. Well, right. and I think it's, there's, there's a couple of things that, to kind of build on that with, and you know, the, we start to talk about, you know, kind of getting beat down, beat down, beat down. It's really still comes back to, I mean, the plans and sand, you know, and I, I think that that's the first one is that the goal is you're going to graduate. That's going to happen. Yeah. It's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the goal is already a success. So all the, sh- all the stuff to get between now and graduation is just really, like how much can you take emotionally, physically? That's all, that, as far as I'm concerned, that's what veterinary school is a training ground for, is it's just a mm-hmm. physical and emotional test. Uh, yeah, fine, there's the, you gotta learn this, gotta learn this, gotta test this, gotta test that, but if one foot is getting in front of the other, and even if you take three steps back, you're still pointed in the right direction, it doesn't matter, recycle a class if you have to. Like it's not the end of the world, because you've already graduated, you're already mm-hmm. a doctor, you're already a veterinary right. nurse, that part's done. So it's, that's where I think we get so locked in. You kind of had mentioned praise as a part of it. We get so locked into being like, I got good grades. I got this. I'm a successful person, you know, this and this and this. And you see the humbling part to it. Um, it's again, it's the same thing where it's like, yep, it's an emotional draw. It's a physical draw, but that doesn't actually mean you are less competent or will be less competent. It doesn't mean that it should affect your confidence. Cause again, uh, the definite one of the, we have three definitions of confidence, but one of them is it's your individual perception of how competent you are. Yeah. So when you start to have those things affected, uh, this is then kind of leading into the second part is, um, when you're, you know, so analytical and you're used to having like, um, you know, we always talk about the ideal kind of team player someone who can take uh, ABCD as far as a policy and figure like oh well as long as I fulfill ABCD you know the ends are going to justify the means mm-hmm. um, but then if you're like well I need to know why and what's this and how does this work and how does this and this and I need to analyze I need to assess and you're like all right cool a is now 37 steps. And if I don't understand every step of those 37 things, well, obviously I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I'm doing. So my confidence is trash and I can't even get it done. Yeah. But then in the day you're like, but I mean, technically I did do a, it just wasn't <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> how I thought a was going to go, you know? Yeah. So that's where I think when we've, we've had meetings about it for years, we've been talking about, you know, and this is again now from kind of the, the business owner policy, you know, procedure writer side of things. It's like, all right, well, how much do we then actually have to focus on steps one through 37? How much can we get away with just sort of doing the A, B, C, and D? Cause the end goal is this. And actually Dr. Dane, he and I had talked about the spirit of the law you know, yep. where it's yeah. like, you know, in the, but, but then it's, you know, it's kind of a give and a take. So, you know, say, where do you sort of lose it along the way? It's because yeah. we forget that the end has already happened, yeah. you know, and, and that's where Katie, you know, she kind of makes it, well, I credit her for making the joke that I'm chasing a ghost of my own creation. <laughs> um, but 
But the reality is, is that, you know, it's, I already see the end. Mm-hmm. I already know what the success is. And that's all I focus on the whole time. And all this other stuff is just going to happen around me as I focus towards what that is. And yeah. that, that's what I, I kind of see is trusting your gut. Um, you know, is it's the no guts, no glory type thing, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just like, yeah, it's, you're going to get hit along the way. Stuff's going to suck. It's going to challenge who you are. Um, uh, but as you get into survival mode and it strips away all the other nonsense, you start to be like that relationship's trash and that person's not good in my life. And this is, you know, I don't, this is not something that I seek or gain fulfillment from anymore. You know, yeah. you talk about uh, CrossFit, like I freaking love it. It's like, yeah. yep. So you, the process that, is the purpose. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's your, that's exactly exactly where I was going with it yeah. is that's why it always has to end with purpose and well-being yeah. is what is the purpose what is where do we get fulfillment from and as long as that is what the goal is all the other stuff can happen around you yeah. you know and, and that's where I think for me I pitch confidence so much because it's like man y'all I've already done it yeah. you know you just have to figure out how to get there mm-hmm. so as you two were talking I was self-reflecting. I was listening, but I was also self-reflecting. It's kind of the whole point of doing and these, isn't it? it? Right? I know. It's like amazing how much you can self-reflect in like the 30 seconds uh-huh. when Carlo's talking. But <laughs> at least at minimum. Three minutes. Yeah, three so. minutes. So I actually don't think mine was vet school as much. I think it was my first job, actually, that that oh postgraduate yes oh, oh, oh. because i thought so, you meant like working a gap or something yeah. <laughs> no 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 no. i should say my first yes my first veterinary okay, job there we go. Yes. There we go. <laughs> no i worked at kfc and it was garbage uh, yeah oh, <laughs> that will ruin everyone's yes, confidence it does. Yes, yes, cried yes. more times on that job than i have in any other <laughs> yes, yes yes allegedly allegedly yes anyway i because vet school like Everyone talks about how traumatic vet school was, but for me, I think it really was like the end goal. I didn't have, I'm like, I'm cool with being bottom 20%. I'm cool with whatever, because I knew that when I graduated, I wanted to be a dairy vet. And that was my goal was I want to be known for being like, I want to be a decent dairy veterinarian and like kind of, I don't know about expert in my field, but like. I want to feel like I have done something. I don't want to just be like the day to day veterinarian. Like I, I want to be like, yeah, yeah, no, decent. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I don't yes. know. Yes. Have impact. Yeah. Have impact. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And so the seeing that goal, I think vet school was just the process for me. I was like, I just need to like do this and pass yeah. and get whatever, and then get into my job and be able to do what I wanted to do. But that first job, like, it stripped away my confidence completely. And it's because of that lack of mentor, like, the expectation for what that type of mentor relationship would be and then not being able to get it and getting the constant reprimand of why are you not doing this? Why are you not better at this? Why don't you inherently know how to do this? Like... Mm -hmm basically just being an endless disappointment to my, my boss at the time and eventually making the decision to like, I can't be in this job anymore. Like basically feeling so like, cause I mean, there was the added component of living so far away, like not having any kind of support structure, yeah. like while I was living in California. And so it was like, I've been beaten and brutalized and like no one is here to like prop me up and I just need to like run home with my tail between my legs Mm -hmm. and I really think that that was because like just 
calling your boss and telling them like this happened and I didn't know what to do about it. So this was the decision that I made and then getting berated Mm -hmm. for that decision, like absolutely berated and having things taken away from you because like then being punished on top of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's that I think is what absolutely destroyed my confidence. Cause my goal was always to be a good dairy vet. And like my goal actually, cause realistically like my written in stone goal had Mm. to change. Like instead of wanting to be have fulfillment as a dairy veterinarian, it's Mm. like, I just had to find fulfillment in general. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of happens that, well, they attempted to do that to you um, in, in vet school. Mm -hmm. That was what the, that's your clinical uh, rotation story. Yeah. Which is probably worth reciting because Bree might not know it. And it's been a while on the podcast. (laughs) I'm intrigued. (laughs) As I'm heading into clinics. Yeah. It was, uh, I'll, I'll be uh, knowing that we have a bit more uh, university audience. I'll be a little more nonspecific, but yes, the, um, you know, so again, it's, it's like I said a few minutes ago. So the goal was I had already graduated. I'm going to be a doctor. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was also a part of it that it was so exciting to get into clinics. Cause it's like, Holy shit, I'm done with book work. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm done. Right. Yeah. You know, it's over no more tests except for of course the Navali, but it was like, there's no more tests. Um, so my first rotation rate January 1st was, uh, historically one of the most difficult rotations of veterinary school. Uh, straight and everyone's like, oh, anyone who takes it the first time, they always fail. And I'm just like, all right, cool. Then I'll plan on failing. You know, like that was just sort of my yeah. thing. But um, so I had, you know, first day and it was, I was so excited to be in the clinic. Now, high eye, right? Mm-hmm. High eye was engaging like all the full-time, you know, technicians who work, you know, down in the hospital and, hey, how's it going? You know, and all the doctors like, hey, and residents, hey, you know, it was just like, I'm just here. It's like, fuck, this is awesome, you know? Day two of the rotation, the head clinician took me in, into uh, his or her office and said that, um, uh, you know, essentially, um, you know, I don't like who you are. I don't like how you talk. Uh, you're way too cavalier around here. And that's not how this clinic works. That's not how things are done around here. And I remember looking at him or her and, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> In in my head, I was like, well, fuck this bitch, first of all. That was the first thing. And, you know, so that's part of that high confidence part yeah, where I was like, well, yeah. this person isn't actually good. Like, first of all, I have no idea who you are. Um, I don't really care how anyone talks about me to me because, first of all, like, if it's someone I respect speaking ill of me, that might cut a little bit. But this person, like, <laughs> LOL. Yeah, so my yeah. first reply to her was I was like, uh, or him, uh, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, I said, I'm like, nah, I'm like, you like me. She's like, what? I'm like, no, you, you like me. And she, and she's like, well, how do you know, you know, how do you know what he's talking about? I'm like, I said, because I'm everything you can't be. Oh. And, you know, and she was just, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I know. And she's like, what? And I was like, well, I'm not institutionalized. You know, I said, I'm coming yeah. in with a completely different persona and you know of course then I failed um you know but uh you know uh but anyway so that was you know that was kind of my first go at clinical and then uh what ended up happening yeah he or she uh then sent out an email to every single clinician in in the vet school to say well this kid Carlo watch out for him you know he's you know he should probably fail him on his rotation 
great, you know, da, 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 da. and it had gone out to all the residents, all the clinicians, and some of my friends were residents as well. So from that one experience, um, it was actually my best experiences were in my large animal rotations yeah. because large animals think small animals crazy. Yes. You know, yep. so, <laughs> yes. Because they are. Uh, right, they <laughs> are. Yes. They know they're crazy. Yes. Um, uh, so, so, but yeah, so that was then when I got in, uh, when I got kind of further down the line, um, uh, Gretchen Flo, she actually... I uh, had a rotation with her, had made rotation evaluations, and she's like, what's this email that I got, you know, like six months ago? She's like, you actually know what you're doing. She's like, you're nothing, like they said. And then the same thing come through um, Beal and Jukowitz on my mid-rotation for emergency. As they were just like, you're actually very, very smart. I'm like, well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I know, yeah. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, but they, but it was it was kind of that same thing where, you know, it's, it's you have people who really try to kind of knock you off the pedestal that you're on, and it was still the same thing where it was like I'm already a doctor at the end I just have to go through these four years to get the certificate and mm -hmm. then I can start to do medicine calculations like that's what it is um, and it was never really losing sight of that so it's you know where where do you get knocked off uh, I'm not going to say that I haven't felt failure in you know the 15 years that I haven't you know it was it was humbling when I failed that rotation it was humbling when I failed the Navali the first time around like I mean all of those things happened and it's just like <sighs> okay, all right, let's just do one more thing and then get this done and then on to the next. Um, and then it compounds. Then you just start doing, uh, and that's what I kind of talk about, the curse of the problem solver is then, uh, you know, once you, uh, your experience in being able to get in-state tuition, like curse the problem solver, it's like once it starts to leach <laughs> oh. in and then it's just like, okay, that felt really good. What's sort of the next one, mm -hmm, you know? Yeah. Um, so to say that you feel your gut going away, it's, it, it happens uh, and they challenge it. And that's where for me, it always at the end of the day comes back down to, no, I'm already a doctor or, you know, veterinary nurse. I'm already at the end. I just have to kind of hang it out and make yeah. sure that um, that the challenges that you face uh, do not make you lose sight of what that end goal is. Are you saying I am inevitable? <laughs> when, uh, He's not going to get that reference Dang it. At oh, all. yeah, I suppose. Because he hasn't watched a movie in like the last yeah. 10 years. <laughs> He's such a dork. He doesn't watch movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> It's it, uh, it's, it's from uh, it's from Avengers. Oh, yeah. Okay, mm. yeah. but but the the concept is um, it's the bad guy number one, which yeah. you know, oh whatever. Thanos, sure, yeah. yeah. Depending but, on how you feel about humanity, yeah, yeah. It's the bad guy, yeah. Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the 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 concept is essentially it doesn't matter what you throw at me we're going to get to the same end point. Yeah. You can literally travel time and try and break this process and I'm still going to win. Yeah. Right. Um, obviously he loses at the, at or the, there wouldn't be a movie or there wouldn't be, a mo <laughs> or there wouldn't be more movies anyways. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, that to me, uh, that's when you talk about like, you're already a doctor, you're already there. You're already top 10% yeah. at a minimum. Um, I, I think a part of that is, you know, you're, you're essentially putting the defense mechanism into the people's heads that are listening. Like you, like you're already there. It's really hard to be in the middle of it and tell yourself yeah. that like, that's a gift. You were, yeah. you were probably born with that gift or you were given that gift yeah. by somebody. I don't yeah. know. Um, but most people don't have that intrinsically. Most people are going to go into that scenario, assuming 
blindly maybe that you know those that are there to educate are also those that are there to support yes. right. and then they just get obliterated yes. by yep. it yeah um, well yeah the teachers stop being teachers right mm-hmm. yeah right I yeah. Mean, that's, and that's, the mentors stop being mentors yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i think for me is like I, I feel like it's a battle between like the theoretical person and the person who's like oh i've been trusting my gut it's yeah. fine because yeah. like i have this goal i can see in my head of like what 10 years from now looks like mm-hmm. owning the practice making it be what like i dream of it being and like everything involved with that mm-hmm. but the and it's like the mid steps where I'm like, but the theoretical person is like, how are you going to get there? Like, yeah. what if this doesn't happen? Which is yeah. why the last podcast we did yeah, together, like yeah. finding the dream practice. Well, if that doesn't happen, then I'm never going to get to the end point, which yeah. isn't true. Like, it'll be fine. I'll yeah. make it like yeah. 10 years from now. Life's going to be great. We'll hope. Yeah. But yes. like, it's, it's like a constant battle now between because school teaches you to be like more theoretical. Like, you got to yes. be detail oriented. Like, how are you going to get there? How are you going to yeah. make that diagnosis? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like it's a battle right now. Yeah. Me to choose like I want the end goal. I can see the end goal, but how am I gonna get there? Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, one thing too that I'll kind of check your thought pattern on is you asked two questions right away that I think you should keep mutually exclusive. Is one is how are we gonna get there? But the second one was well, what if this happens? And to me, those are two very very different things because you know, you can you can write a plan as much as you can, and you're gonna have your big steps along the way. You already kind of have that laid out, but you just have to go through it Mm -hmm. and then once you get to the what if like you're not going to know what to do in the what if scenario that's two years from now today right there's too much data to gather (laughs) so but my brain will try to do it i understand (laughs) that it will try to do it but what i'm saying is that is a waste of time yeah (laughs) well and it's um it's the it's the growth through experience right so i mean that's when we talk about on our creating accountability diagram that's why collaboration is actually so important because collaboration actually anticipates repeated falls so Mm -hmm. It's only ever a failure once you deem yourself a victim. It's only ever a failure once you start to name out persecutors. So if you stay within that collaborative cycle, the idea is that you actually continue to fall and then one finally pops. So that's where it's you have to kind of have that, like you said, that individual assessment to, you know, take a step back and look at yourself in that scenario. But why did this fail? But I think what I'm trying to get at is the experience part when time moves along you actually like he said data you get more data on either why it did or didn't work but it actually becomes a more complex thought accidentally so it's when you're trying to plan in the beginning where it's like well here's all of the things and all the variables and theoretical and you know systems and process and here's all the things and it's this you know a through one through 90 and d one through 60 um and then you get five years down the road and you're like i didn't know anything you know, like LOL self, yeah. you know, so, so yeah. that's kind of how, like, I kind of lean into that sometimes probably more than I should, but I lean into that being like, all right, well, we kind of just have to do this because we don't actually have the data to really have a, f- a really uh, full plan. Take the tumor out. Yes, yes. yes. Take the tumor out. Take the tumor out. Yes, we should. Yeah, we should flash up, flash up images of that here this last week, where, yeah. where it was just like, here's this animal who, it, of course, it has a splenic tumor, which yeah. in no way, shape, or form is uh, going against the ultrasound findings. It was like, no, there's this big thing, right. and it's just like this needs to come out. The law of probability dictates that it should be a splenic mass. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not. And we a did s- talk. We did talk about it, but that's yeah. why I bring it up is yeah. because that's what you're getting at is like. Yes you are your brain's just sitting there like what is this what do i do with this it's trying to make lists and it's like just take the tumor out right (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. That, just start somewhere. Just start doing it. Try not to have this seven pound fluid mm-hmm. bag rupture in the abdomen. Yeah. Like that's two goals. Yeah, it's a whole thing. But yeah, so I, I think that's where um, you know, you do have to kind of play both sides a little bit because and that's all comes back to what this podcast is, a trust in your gut. It's you you have to be respectful that I mean, try, you know, um, you know, I, I, I kind of make a joke. I mean, that's why I like Back to the Future, you know, those three movies so well, because you have the opportunity to actually like go back and, you know, tell yourself something that would help the future. So that's kind of how I think about it is myself, and this sounds insane, but I put myself into the mindset of 15 years from now and I'm actually already there. Mm-hmm. So that's when I talk about the goals. It's like, well, obviously this is going to happen. So what I need to do is that Carlo needs to talk to this Carlo and give this Carlo advice on how to get to that Carlo. That is actually it, insane. It's insane. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's, if, if you have the gift of being able to see the future, what would you tell yourself? Right. You know, it's the same right. thing. What would you tell yourself on high school me or middle school me? Um, and that's, I think ultimately then when you start to then look at all the experiences of like our elders, right? Our tribe mm-hmm. elders, where it's the grandparents are telling us and the parents are yeah. telling us and look at this life experience. And you're like, I'm young and you don't know anything because yeah. you don't live in this world today. And they're like, but I promise <laughs> yeah. there are some things that I know, <laughs> you know, um, and that that's again, so you try to play all those variables uh, to then again, coming back to trusting your gut. And it's just like, all right, I'm actually kind of cool with not having all of the data on all of the variables because actually I know exactly where I'm headed and all the other things are going to happen around me. It's just a matter of getting right to that point and letting those other things happen and don't feel like you have to control all of those other things and let some of them just blow over you and be like, wow, this was a really big deal, but also kind of it wasn't, you know, and it's protecting your, you know, and that's why I said, that's why I think vet school is such a training ground for Mm -hmm. emotional, physical uh, fatigue. Uh, That's what actually I think I got out of veterinary school was just being able to handle the emotions and physical fatigue because when you get out if you can understand how to manage your personal outlets so whether it's going to the gym or running or creative outlets between artwork or music or whatever it is even uh you know some people like to do you know uh singing and dancing it doesn't matter whatever your outlet is that's how you deal with stress. That's how you deal with emotional fatigue. That's how you deal with physical fatigue. And then when you get out, it's, ah, I just spent the last two to four years creating a coping mechanism for when shit actually hits the fan. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm in veterinary school, I forget the fact that I'm already graduated. Mm -hmm. I just have to wait four years. You know, so it's if you start to learn how to navigate sort of that physical and emotional uh, fatigue, you're actually way ahead of the curve on what to do when you come up to some of those real life experiences. Your first anesthetic patient dies or, you know, your first case or you get your first complaint or whatever. You start to be like, oh, this is actually draining me emotionally and physically. But guess what? I have this that I can do to help cope with that. Um, So that's why. Like I said, I, I'm, I am cautious to cause veterinary school, uh, to call veterinary school the persecutor because being a creator, I look at it like, okay, not going to be able to change that variable, but mm-hmm. what can I learn coming mm-hmm. out of it? Because I'm not going to be powerless to the effects of the education uh, system or the effects of my first job. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a victim to what that does to me. Uh, what can I learn and grow from this? And w- how can I start to manage myself as a human yeah. um, in that world? Yeah. Um, and that's why I wouldn't consider it a persecutor. And I think that it's funny because that does come up like seeing some posts made by veterinarians that feel like they're so stuck. And 
I think a very common theme of those types of posts is that they only have work. They only have being a veterinarian as their self-identity. And so they don't necessarily, either they've forgotten those coping mechanisms or they don't have time to engage them. And so when the floor drops out from under you, what do you have left? Yeah. So, and I think, and I think that's part of what happened to me in California is part of my coping mechanism in vet school was surrounding myself with people who prop me up sure, like friends and, you know, going out and being able to be, be social and like just blow off steam Mm. and then be going there on my own and being so isolated. I was like, calling people like yeah. crying yeah. like I don't have anybody and I don't know what to do and I just have my dog and yeah. like so yeah I think that's that's a very good point and I think some people probably it might take some self-reflection of being like in this moment like yeah. what are the other things in my life that I have to go to fall back on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah well, please I do. actually saw a post and it was like an ad for some like online thing that you could do as a veterinarian it said mm-hmm. how to be happy as a veterinarian and that broke me like yeah. i read that on facebook yeah. and i was like this should not be a thing it's yeah like like how is that an ad i don't feel like that yeah. should have been like their slogan but i was like yeah oh my gosh yeah. but I, I feel like a lot of um, veterinarians that they are at least told in vet school is that like there's a hole into vet med and a lot of people keep falling into it yeah. and falling into it and i think a lot of it is exactly what you're saying yeah. it's just it's just i just want to bring that up because i was like mm-hmm. i read that post and i was like yeah. yeah, it's absolutely that is awful. Like that's what that's what my life looks like when I graduate. Like not my life because I'm gonna make it not my life. But <laughs> right, that's right. what they're portraying to me is like that's about men. Yeah. Right. You have to go strive to be happy when yeah. you graduate because there is a hole and a lack of fulfillment because all your whole life. It's right. just vet med. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because this actually brings up one of the topics, and we probably shouldn't fully dive into this today because it's its own topic, but it does lead into your thing about awareness versus mm-hmm. like solutions. solutions. Yeah. And so just being aware of the problem isn't enough. You Doesn't really have problem. to already yeah. be ahead of the game <laughs> yeah. of like, okay, yeah. I'm aware that there is a problem, but now what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. I think to uh, actually one thing that I do want to kind of highlight about you specifically uh, in the concept of trusting your gut, though, and kind of where we're at, and like losing yourself and not being happy, and all that is, um, uh, you know, you talk about vet school is a training ground for physical and emotional fatigue, absolutely. But I think what happens is, um, especially now, as as the generations turned over, it's gone from. Um, you know, slowing down on competence to slowing down heavily on confidence. We've already observed that. We've talked about that a lot. So you have um, individuals that are graduating with no confidence whatsoever. Um, a part of that process is forgetting who they are personally. Um, I think we've kind of identified that in just like assessment data mm-hmm. where they flatten out, they forget who they are. Um, been through that um, in uh, episode 16, which is team crafting. Talk about that one. Um, but um, one thing about you, Bree, and I'll just bring this up as an example, is um, you weren't afraid to tattoo the hell out of your arms. Yeah. And a part <laughs> of that is... There's a confidence, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a there's a gut instinct that says yep. it doesn't matter. No, nope. it doesn't actually <laughs> matter. And and I think like and I have tattoos myself, but no one ever sees them. But like, <laughs> a part of that process is trusting your gut and being like, I'm not going. You know, it's forever. Mm-hmm. There's no taking this one back. That's one of those things that you really just can't undo. And I think you know when you look down, it's probably something that probably uh, will help keep you sane throughout your career. Is like, well, I I did this. Mm-hmm. Like, and I and I. 
and I still love and appreciate this. So like, what's another thing? Mm -hmm. um, is what uh, am I a crazy person for thinking that? No, no, and I don't want to go too much of a tangent, yeah. but I remember, um, like, my parents are very conservative. They're yeah. very, like, they told me when I got my, I was never allowed to have to tell you. Never. I went to Chicago Same. to get my sister at 18. I got, like, my first nose piercing and, like, yeah. my oh, little man. small tree tattoo. My mother was, like, beside oh, yeah. herself. She was like, you're never going to get into vet school. You have no more dreams. Like, all oh, your whole life is gone. And I was like... Oh my god! Like, yeah. yeah. So then I, um, I did wait to get my first leave until yeah. after I was accepted to veterinary school. Yeah, yeah. Um, and once I was accepted to vet school, I was like, well, they can't kick me out now. <laughs> and like, it's hard. I already to, graduated. Right. I was like, well, it's part of that confidence too. Is that I know, like, while I've hit roadblocks and things, like, I know I'm going to be a great veterinarian. Right. I know I'm going to be a powerhouse in the veterinary right. field. And I've had things along the way to tell me, like, that 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 is will happen. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time. So I know that, like. It's part of being an example, too, because I, I um, do a lot of things with the veterinary school in general, being a leader in the veterinary school. And mm -hmm. I get a lot of questions from, um, like, pers prospective students. They go, like, well, don't you have to cover those up? And I'm like, no, because <laughs> I one, I would never want to work for a place yeah, that would yeah. choose, like, that's how you get perceived. Like, mm -hmm. if you have tattoos or no matter, like, what is on them and things, like, that's who you are. Like, that's not who I want to work for anyways. And right. it's kind of like a, a test for me, too, mm -hmm. is to see, like, and can I stick with myself? And if I enter a practice that goes, <laughs> like, hold up, like you're crazy. Like yeah. you didn't think that through or anything. It's right. like, well, that's okay because I don't want to work for you anyways. Right. Yeah. And I know that I'm going to be a great veterinarian one day. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, I can already see it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be a great veterinarian one day. And uh -huh. I hold myself to that standard, or at least a standard where I feel like everything else around me kind of props that up anyways. Like yeah. maybe if I was like someone yeah. who didn't do anything and like, I don't know, was a poor person, I don't know, <laughs> but um, didn't have a good example or something, maybe that'd be different. But I do feel like I, I have a good ground system mm -hmm. that like whether, what what tattoos I have or not, it's not going to matter because in the right. end, I will get the gold. Exactly. And that's that's kind of where I was going with it. It's like, it, it actually doesn't matter at all. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're grounded to the point where it's like, okay, now we're just building up from here. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about, you know, with the last time, you were on you were talking about that interviewing process for clinics well that's just accelerates it mm -hmm. that just makes it that much easier right right so to it's just something i want to talk about because it is unique for you it's mm -hmm. not something that isn't terribly common amongst anybody that is uh less yeah, than 30. It's, it's kind of funny because my um there's no like there's no other person in veterinary medicine yeah. at least the school right now that has like lots of tattoos yeah. except yeah. for my significant other has a full <laughs> sleeve and i like can't figure out if my brain was like Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Like you did it too. Like yep. we both know this is gonna be okay. Like I don't. I can't figure out if that's the reason or not. But regardless, it works out. It certainly helps. Um, so yeah, it was just something that yeah. I, I knew was it was relatively unique. But um, one of the, uh, one of the other things too, as uh, we've got a little bit of time left here. Um, to talk about the concept, to kind of go back with the trusting your gut process in, um, actually, I just want you to share the story because I know, I know it, um, but I don't even know if Caroline necessarily knows it, but Bree most likely wouldn't either, is the, I hope I know it. well, <laughs> is the, is that, is that purchase decision process for the clinic if, of itself? Like you had a lot of data, but a oh. lot of it was also like, well, this is just what we have to do. Um, or, or you know, I guess maybe if there's another story, but I, I think one of the things that a lot of people respect about you, um, is the, is the fact that it's just like the gut goes first, um, most of the time and, and, and then your brain fills in the details and yeah. it's pretty good at it. But, um, it, to walk, walk us through kind of that, that process. 
Yeah, I mean, I it actually kind of speaks to me doing undergrad in veterinary school the way that I did is it was it was the only picture that I saw. Um, and I think only now in the last year, year and a half, have I kind of started to learn that that's actually how my brain works is I work, um, like I don't see words when I, I just see pictures. So for me, I just have to describe the picture that I see to people, uh, which I don't know if everyone functions that way, but I have no. been told that, yes, right. Okay. So <laughs> like, and I didn't know that. I just thought that's how my brain worked. I'm like, well, this is just how people think and talk. Um, so for me to be very kind of pictures is like a lot of how my brain processes is it's, it's a bunch of snapshots all at the same time very fast. So what ends up happening for me is a lot of the times I have to look at different variables and I may only see part of the picture and then it, it might take, you know, a week, a month, a year, some experience to be like, oh yeah, that's right. I saw this other picture and that's how that links together. So kind of leading up to the ownership part, it was like, I'm just kind of looking at this entire picture and eventually that's kind of in its very picture pictorial form. That's where our industry overview came from, because that's kind of how my brain assembles data. Um, and that's just the word part. That's not the photo part. But um, so when I was kind of getting up to the ownership part, because I mean, Katie was having her experiences at a couple of different employers in the three to four years we were out of school. I knew I, that I had my experiences as I was getting through kind of after hours medicine. And then you start to hear other classmates experiences and even talking to some of the older veterinarians that own practices and, you know, them kind of speaking of their qualms because remember for our practice we had um, at that time I think 29 referring practices so you kind of would occasionally throw cases and then just kind of shoot the shit for five minutes so it was just this whole process of starting to assemble all this data together and being like oh our industry is having a problem with talent because of one, two, three. We're having problems with culture because of one, two, three. We're having, so it's that taking that step back and then it finally clicked. The only way any of this is going to get better is if someone stands the fuck up mm -hmm. and be like, no, we are not going the way of corporate medicine. We are not going the way of tradition. Both of those are broken for two totally different reasons. What else is out there? nothing cool well we aren't going to be able to do what we're doing for the next 30 years as associate veterinarians i don't want other carlos in kindergarten wanting to be a vet and having to come into whatever world of veterinary medicine is 25 years from now so that's why Again, the joke is I, I am kind of chasing a ghost of my own creation. It's because it had snapped one night where I saw that final picture of the whole thing. And I was like, crap, this is the only way that this is actually going to work. So then it was the analytics side where it was like, all right, cool. Let me survey how many, because I'm like, I bet you all these vets are for sale right now. So we surveyed the entire state. Like I said, the recruitment team, it was, the stat was uh, 450 clinics, 390 were able to, not even for sale. They were just like, please Willing. take this clinic mm -hmm. off our hands. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, and then going to, you know, so then I did a more data kind of in our area because the beginning of Paul Health was a little bit different on mergers and acquisitions, not that it matters, but, you know, kind of that plan in the beginning is what I ended up going to my employers with, you know, I called a board meeting and flew in from out of, a board member flew in from out of state. And then of course I was late to that meeting. And then, so the, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, all these things kind of started to assemble together and, 
you know, there was one thing at the very last uh, meeting that we had or that they had as a board that I came to. And once they finally made their decision that they didn't want to be a part of what I was doing, um, the one of the one of the more progressive members of their team, I had him I overheard him talking to one of the other people at the table. And he was like, um, he was like, this is the first time in my career that I felt like the old guy at the table. Mm. You know, like there was a time when they were progressive, because remember, these are the people that were coming out of veterinary school in the 90s, and yep. they were the trendsetters for specialty. Yep. All the referral centers you see started with these peeps, yeah. you know, and now they're no longer the trendsetters. Now that is the standard of care. Mainstream, yeah. They're mainstream. So that's where then, like I said, all these things kind of started to merge together. And then it was like, all right, okay, him saying that lets me know that I'm on the right course, you know, and they had referred to it as not the cutting edge, but the bleeding edge, like, you know, all right, kid, just get out there and run and go with it. Um, and then, of course, like I said, uh, you know, Dr. Katie, it was, you know, she was very much on that analytical side. But, you know, I remember one very, very almost haunting conversation that I had with her is it was exactly that it was like, we have to do this. Mm -hmm. There actually isn't any other option. Mm -hmm. There's no other option. We have to do this. Um, and I think that's where, you know, a part of, you know, the struggles that we've had in our personal lives and professional lives, you know, I do carry guilt for that because it was like, crap, I don't actually see it any other way. And we're going to fall along the way. We're going to stumble along the way. There's going to be times that suck. But in the end, like it's, you know, it's the learning, earning, yearning. Mm -hmm. We are in the earning part of our lives. Like if we can make this work and maximize it, it's not just going to be beneficial for us, but it's gonna be beneficial for the entire industry. Mm -hmm. And that was the switch that flipped. That was the picture that I saw. I was like, oh my God, if we can actually make an impact on the industry, it's going to change the way the game is played. Um, and then, of course, Simon Sinek with the Infinite Game and so on and so forth. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that was the ultimate sort of vision that I had was it was is really creating a new future. And it's not so much of, you know, raising the bar or, you know, setting the bar. It's uh, -uh. we have a completely new ladder that we're creating to put brand new rungs on. And those are the rungs of accountability. And through the rungs of accountability, we're going to pull ourselves out of this trench. We're going to pull ourselves into what we as an industry not just deserve but what we need so it's like you saying we had you know i read this thing where it's how to be happy as a veterinarian should never exist in this world yeah. it exists i'm not saying that the factors that didn't lead to that post don't exist but it's that we should never be at that point yeah. um but it's more than just you know us spitballing up in northern wisconsin there's mm -hmm. there's you know factors in michigan there's factors in ohio there's factors in you know boston there's factors in la so but as long as we as an industry realize that tradition has passed, corporate medicine is not our future, we have to start to, through those rungs of accountability, pull ourselves out into what the future of the industry is. And that was the whole thing that I saw when it was like, we should probably buy that clinic and see what happens. Yeah. Well, I was gonna, and that's like you, I, the reason I wanted you to tell that story is like you can now surmise it all into five minutes. <laughs> You couldn't do that before <laughs> whatsoever. Like you guys, like, I yeah. wish that I could have video recorded that meeting because it was four hours oh, of I can see that. like, <laughs> like Carlo walked into the room with seven pieces of paper, just with doodle scratch all over yeah. them. And we're like, wait, 
that's it. <laughs> and it was it was so horribly conceptual, like in, in the best of ways, but it but it wasn't that precise. It wasn't that that yeah. easily consumable. And yeah. and you you talk about like the guilt and of like the hardship of yeah. that learning. Well, it's you know that's that's valid and it's fair. You know, yeah. there's they, you have you have sacrificed a ton, both you and Katie and your yeah. family and everybody that works here and and all that and. Uh, but but for what reason is to get to this point and, yeah. and it all started with that gut call of like yeah. I don't even have all the data yeah. I really don't like I see these six ver- or nine variables yeah. that are causing three major problems and here's some ideas for some solutions and I think this is going to work go right and it, there was no there was no i mean there was probably some hesitation at some point along the way I think actually yeah. you and I had talked about it once on a podcast where it was like I feel myself getting comfortable. That's yeah. That's it. Yeah. That would then be a, uh, that's the problem of tradition. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, uh, and it's, and like I said, it comes right back to being the old guy at the table, yeah. you know, as it's, and, and, and part of it is financial success, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we kind of talk about how every year we just keep reinvesting the money back into the business. It's not our money. It's the business's money. It's the people's money. Let's just keep putting it back in. Um, and that was, you know, kind of part of that is, um, you know, with that reinvestment, with with the money that was going out, it's like you get comfortable in being like, so that's more money than I've ever seen in my life. Right. You know, and it's just like, well, now I, I've made it. We don't have to do anything else. We've we've got it, you know, and it's and that was why, you know, part of the reason why Katie and I were bestowed the honor of Young Alumni of the Year, you know, to invest into the veterinary school course, the house mentorship program to finance that entire thing. They're like, so you guys are like 30 and doing this. You're giving us how much money for this thing or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, but there comes a point where you just realize that money is no longer an asset. Money is a tool, you know. So it just kind of greases those wheels. So the, the comfort that I've felt, I can probably mark th- two times in the last five, six years that I felt comfortable. Um, it's because you fall back and then it's like, oh, well, this is fine and good the way that it is. And I don't need to keep pushing because if I keep pushing, I might die, you know, and yeah. it's like, you, then you kind of partly die a little bit. <laughs> uh, I think I've only hit the ER twice. Or only because you refused to go a few times. <laughs> well, there's that variable. We are talking about when I actually went. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, but, but again, so that, that's part of that getting comfortable, yeah. you know, is that it's, um, you know, it is, I don't want to say it, and that's okay. I mean, that's okay. Like there's going to come a point where like feeling comfortable isn't necessarily bad. Um, as long, cause we talk about uh, tier four of the education system. So tier four of the education system is either individual advancement or industrial advancement. So in, in individual advancement is we're going to just knock the hell out of this locally and I'm going to fix pardon me, I'm going to fix this stuff locally and I'm going to have more people come into this locally and we're going to help all those people locally and everyone who comes in. Industrial advancement is, I need to make sure there's more people that hear what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that was where I think for me, the definition of getting comfortable was that I was starting to fall behind on industrial advancement. Mm -hmm. For me, the definition of getting comfortable is focusing on individual advancement. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's why, like I said, between owners, between associate veterinarians, between nurses, like all of those things are important because we still have individual advancement 
that is so necessary in tier four, but that's then where you might have some infect as many people that way. Yes, correct. (laughs) Yes. And well, exactly right. So that's kind of the way that I see it is, you know, uh, we talk about, uh, you know, eventually one day, quote unquote, becoming a successful veterinarian. Um, Well, that was actually then for me, why I'm push, I push hard into industrial advancement on tier four is because I actually only have the ability to influence and make an impact on the number of animals that I am physically able to see in a year. So if I'm only physically able to see a thousand animals per year, 2000 animals per year, that's the scope of my impact, which absolutely can be providing the fulfillment to some people who gain fulfillment from that level of impact. There's nothing wrong with that. But then it's like, what happens if it's like 10,000? Right. (laughs) And then it's like, and then it's like, shit, we just turned out 15,000 invoices last year. Uh All right. That feels pretty good. What happens if it was 150,000? Right. You know, and that's, that's then again, just comes back to the curse, the problem solver. Okay, cool. How do I get to that mark now? I don't know. I never thought we'd be to 15,000. So how do we get to Mm 150,000? And then it's like, and it's the people, it's just more people, more, more words, more people aligned with it. And then they sort of make it what they need to make it locally. Um, in you know, whatever, uh, variables that they have, but there are some pretty obvious standards of business. I'm not saying that everything needs to be reinvented, but, mm-hmm. um, there are some things that are universal, I should say. Um, but, I would say at this point, you're gleaning more insight outside of this industry than yeah. you are inside. <laughs> yeah. Like substantially. Yeah, you're like, you're like beautifully naive to the things that happen outside <laughs> of the veterinary world. It's like, Carlo, that already happens. <laughs> yes. Lots of what people was, already yeah. do that. What was the thing? There yeah. was something that I had told you guys about appointments. This is already like over a year ago on one of the other things. And I, I just remember telling Ben there was some structure to an appointment in how GP. like everything has like their 20, 20 minute blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. You were like, what is a 20 minute appointment? Oh, cause you've only ever been triage. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were like, that's just asinine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Let's make sure we can't give everyone the amount of time that they need. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's just, let's yeah, just I had, solidify yeah. that. I, I mean, perfect example. I had three allergy consultations yesterday and I was like, each one of these is 45 minutes long. Yep. Yeah minimum to hit all the high points. And I think I do put people to sleep toward the end. Like I feel them like drifting away and I'm like, I have to find a way to shorten this, but there is so much information that needs to be said. I'm like, you can't do this in 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like, well, we always joke, if there's a GI, Carlo's gone for 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I have time. gotten faster. He's gotten faster. Yeah. But it still takes time. Like, yeah. your other consultations, your talk paths are more abbreviated, but that's just, yeah, it's, five, it's, you minutes. know, everyone has their thing. Everybody yeah. has their, their thing. Right. And yeah. that's why you see in a lot of GPs, like, you don't stay on schedule, because it's impossible yeah. to yeah. stay on schedule. I work GP. Uh-huh. Um, I just got my last job. That was actually an emergency clinic. But the rest of them all be GP, and they're never, there's no such thing as a 20-minute appointment. Uh-huh. You can say it, but it doesn't work. It yeah. just doesn't work. It's not yeah. practical. But then we're just going to keep doing it. Yeah, right. not yeah. fixing right. Like, you just have to get better. You yeah. need to fix yourself to get right. better. Yeah. You're right. like, I physically You're just like, cannot. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. Just keep doing like, it. I don't think it's you fine. understand. This is not possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think a part of that, too, is like, that, that's when you get into that um, habit of over-analysis because you're trying to over-predict every question mm-hmm. that anybody can ask about yeah. whatever the ailment is or whatever. And then you just get up to that, like, I can do this all in 20 minutes. And then one more question hits and there goes, shit, here comes 10 more minutes. And I, and you can't, uh, you can't predict that far ahead into the future and you have to give yourself that wiggle room. And if you try to, if you try to have that super concise talk path, you're, you're just going to get derailed more Mm -hmm. than you're going to be successful. I, um, one of the things that I've been really 
probably the last decade for sure I've been talking about with caregivers um, and also students or whoever is that I talk about the differences between clinical medicine and diagnostic medicine. Uh, diagnostic medicine is you have to run the test to find the answer. Clinical medicine is you have to talk to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So when it, you know what uh, clinical medicine is disease progression, we tried this, it didn't work. We tried this, it did work. You know, so when you talk more on clinical medicine, so my my best analogy that I have for people when I find consults getting very long because we had a, a patient. This is a perfect example here. This last weekend, a patient come in. Um, you know, it was rechecked blood work like three days later, and uh, it's, uh, liver values were like substantially worse than they were the three days prior. And they're like, well, what's going on? What's wrong with our patient? We don't even know what's wrong. And I was like, okay. I said, we need to first define on what we do and don't know. I said, when we talk about clinical medicine and diagnostic medicine, I said, clinical medicine is I like to eat cereal. Diagnostic medicine is I like golden grams. So, and they're <laughs> like, seriously, seriously. And the people are like, oh, I was like, yeah. So when we say we have liver disease, that's us liking cereal. I said, so if you want to figure out what kind of cereal we got, ultrasound guided biopsies, you know, surgical biopsies, ultrasound, CTs, all these other things. And like, and and, and the husband in the background was like, I like to, he's, he's like, we're going the cereal route. And I was like, I was like, perfect, you know, but, okay. but again, that, that so far has been, you know, so when I, and that's why, like I said, I think I've become shorter in my consultations yeah. because when people say, well, we don't know what's wrong. We're going to run through 40 different rule outs of hepatic disease. I could probably do 10 right now at best, maybe three. So, you know, it's like, you know, to say to run, well, and this, and then 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 this, I stop back. I step back and I say, okay, listen, there's two sides to this. Yeah. There's clinical and there's diagnostic. I said, if you're asking, asking me like categorically what's wrong, that's clinical. But if you're trying to talk to me about specifically what's wrong, right. we as an industry may not actually have the diagnostic tool to provide you that answer. Yeah, I said, so the tests that we have are trying to figure out what kind of cereal we have, but we might not actually have the right test. Yeah. So there's going to come a point where we have to stop testing and start treating. And then when we start treating, we're going to get better or worse. And that's clinical medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's people also are like, trusting oh, your gut. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how Going. Yeah, that's, that is exactly what that <laughs> full is. Full circle. Yes, full circle. Yeah. So it's and, and that's why how, how all the it's really kind of a just for me a big big concept on how are we as humans functioning and, and that's why you said I'm, na- I'm I'm naive to those things outside of the industry. That's actually why from the beginning I loved working with you on the strategic planning side now as part of our team because mm-hmm. I I would say all these things and you're like yeah that's a thing I'm like yes it's a thing <laughs> somebody you know? wrote a book about that yeah there's a book on that and he's like yes like a whole thing and you just rattled it off and like you didn't even read it and I was just like but that's what I see you know and then it's the picture and anyway um, but yeah so it's it's all the same thing that's why trusting your gut is you know important through veterinary school once you get onto clinical practice once you talk about ownership once you talk about life goals you know all these things it's a matter of how much are we focusing on do I like cereal or what kind of cereal do I like Um, and that's that's for me ultimately what the balance comes down to on trust your gut is there's times to just understand that you're going to walk down the aisle just grab some boxes and it's going to be good enough and there's gonna be other times where i just really need to make sure that if my kids don't have lucky charms at home it's going to be hell you know (laughs) like there is a time where both work so it's just understanding that and respecting it i get like for me i'm super curious how that translates because i think for you and the thing that you've learned in in experience is like and i I, i'm actually i'm kind of curious but i'm going to have caroline answer this first um is um in actually communicating with caregivers, 
uh, because this will be something that'll be really helpful for you once mm-hmm. you get into clinicals is like um, how variable are your communications and what's the deciding factor? Because to me, like I, I you know, I, especially with my history and understanding assessment data and like really diving deep into stuff with like one-to-one interactions and me working with people and having data on the table and this is how this works and I can super analyze that sort of stuff but I can't do that with a stranger so I'm going with my gut now I've done the work to back it up to have the thought and be like I know what you're saying I can hear it I can see it but for you it's more going to be experience-based but what is the deciding factor if you like do, do you just you walk in for whatever the ailment yeah. might be. Do you have your talk path or do you do you play the room? How do you kind of work that out? I think for me, because I still I still operate somewhat from a defensive position. So I make sure that I hit all of my informed consent. Uh-huh. And I do think that that starts to be a little overwhelming for some people because it's uh-huh. it's a little bit like like I said, you start to get that like their eyes kind of, I, it's over the phone, so I can't see their you eyes glazing over, but you can hear it in their voice when they're just like, they're disengaged. Mm-hmm. And so there is some degree to that. And for, for like to hit that minimum baseline, I just kind of push through. Cause I'm like, I have to at least talk about these things and document informed consent because mm-hmm. it's just necessary for standard of care. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that, it, it starts to be, what questions do you get? So like, if they ask the question that's like, oh, you are actively listening to what I'm saying, you're engaged in what I'm saying, you understand these concepts. And so I do try to ask some follow-up questions like, are you understanding me? What questions do you have for me? Those types of things to try and 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 see kind of where we're at with the level of understanding. Because I do sometimes have to repeat myself several mm-hmm. times for it to kind of start to sink in. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because the trust your gut thing also comes up with caregivers. Like basically my whole goal in my consultation is getting to a point where the caregiver will trust their gut. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, my job is just to give you enough information and informed consent that you can trust your gut making a decision. Mm -hmm. And I often do talk about like medical man. I talk, I say medical management versus like clinical, but it means kind of the same thing. It's like, are we going to treat symptomatically and see how patient responds to therapy? Or do you want to continue down the path of diagnostics? Mm -hmm. Because we have the ability to, to do both. It's just, how much information do you need to trust your gut yeah. and trust the decision? And then how is the patient, like what is the overall kind of, how is the patient responding to therapy and what is their quality of life like? Mm-hmm. So, Well, to me, that's what you're doing in that process is you're just finishing the equation of patient expense, emotional expense, and financial expense. Yep. You cannot make that decision for them. Correct. And if you try to, you're going to fail more times than you're going to succeed. I am so stubborn about it. Mm-hmm. So many people are like, well, what would you do? And I'm like, nope. No. <laughs> nope. Switzerland. Yeah. I will get you an estimate right. and you can decide. Right. I will give you all of your options. Because sometimes it does come down to like when they see the numbers, mm-hmm. that does seem to click for a lot of people. Yeah. Some people go into it and they have kind of a gut feeling of what they'd like to do and they just want to get that last bit of data that mm-hmm. they feel comfortable in making. It's the coin flip. Mm-hmm. Um, the the monetary like in estimate is the coin flip for a lot of caregivers. Mm-hmm. And so that's usually my like trump card that I pull out at the end is like, you are having trouble making this decision. Mm-hmm. I will get you an estimate that will give you time to think about it. And then hopefully by the time we get there, 
will have will have a treatment plan for the patient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, before we jump to you, Bree, I, I, I'm not actually really sure what your experience level is in consultation because yeah. you're still pretty new I to just it. About that. Um, but like, what kind of in communication or helping people get through that process? You know, what experience do you have, and kind of what are your deciding factors and like how to communicate with people? Yeah, I think um, not so much in schools per se, but um, I've been working in the veterinary field as like a veterinary assistant. And mm-hmm. when I first started in the UP, there's not really like technicians because there's just yeah. not staff. So I acted as a technician, mm-hmm. and in doing that gave me a lot of experience working with um, caregivers about going through estimates and deciding what what do you want to do here so a lot of like things that I found along the way even up until my last job that I just um, ended up leaving mm-hmm. is when you go to talk to caregivers about what are your options and where do you where do you want to go is just straight asking them what are your goals today mm-hmm. yeah. because when yeah. you get that 18 year old cat that is vomiting for five weeks like mm-hmm. is diarrhea it's yeah. it's got all these things you could go into but if their goal is to just give fluids and then see how it goes. And there's not, there's not like you, there's no reason to dive into all these things because they don't want that Mm -hmm. and they don't want that. So that's what I talked to like them about is like, what are your goals today for your patient? Mm -hmm. We had this cat at my last clinic that came in every like three weeks and it was an 18 year old. No, I think it was like 22, 20 year old cat that was balancing. It had like retinal hemoplate. Like it was like its whole eye was bleeding uh, constantly, but they, they didn't, they were not ready for euthanasia. That talk, they just wanted to keep giving fluids and see Mm -hmm. how it goes. So, Mm -hmm. Whether we talked about, like, how are things going? Do you want to do some tests? Do you want to look into this? Like, where are we at? Like, what's next? And they were like, nope. I only want sub-Q fluids, and that's, like, all we want to do. So that's all we did. So a lot of, like, um, what my experience had been is just talking through estimates with people because when you bring out that estimate, that's five to ten grand. Yeah. And the ten, like, even the five grand is not possible for them, then, like, that's just a whole different conversation, and Mm -hmm. there's no reason to go into that. Here's what ten grand looks like when they're, like, I can't, I could never even do the five grand. So instead, we have to talk about quality of life and Mm -hmm. go into the decision of um, euthanasia. And then I have to give that to the doctor and be like, these are, this is what my gut is telling me about mm-hmm. these people. And this is the way I feel about these. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely talk to the caregivers and see what's happening. But they have told me specifically that these are the goals for today. And that's going to set the tone for the whole entire conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been my experience with that is just going over estimates and things. Because that's where most of my experiences have yeah. been. Because vet school hasn't given, like, I haven't got to the clinical yeah, um, side yet, yet. So I haven't got to talk into, like, that aspect with all the medicine. Mm-hmm. Just mainly going over estimates. What each thing means if they're super interested in knowing. Because I, when I give estimates, I talk to them. Do you want to know... Like, what are all these things individually? Or I can sump them, like, chunk them, tell you what they mean, what they're going to do for you and your patient, and then move forward. Mm -hmm. So you know that way. But if they want to know, what's Mm -hmm. this exact chemistry panel going to include? I'm happy to tell them that. I might have to go ask somebody, but (laughs) I'm happy to tell them that. It's just a matter of, like, what are their goals and just asking them. That's kind of, if I understand it, I mean, you've done that in the past. Or maybe you still do. I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it actually goes both ways. Uh, it, I have a diagram around somewhere, which I, I'll show you uh, next time around together. But the whole idea is you are you need to get us to a certain level of trust in order to establish reality. So that's that's one of the big things. And we talk about the accountability ladder and all that kind of stuff. But the way that I kind of merge that into 
into practice is exactly that. So people are going to build trust different ways. So for us, it's, you know, most of the people we see, we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. So in a short period of time, how do you build trust? So like in those consultations, I'll be like, Hey, I know we're a 24 hour clinic, but just because we're 24 hours, we don't play that human game where everything's going to be 10 times more expensive. And they're like, Oh really? And you know, and even now the area veterinarians are like, you guys need to go down to paw. They're like, well, I don't go to the emergency. They're like, no, actually they're cheaper than we are. You know? So it's, that's one of the ways in which you build trust another one is sometimes you build so build trust through knowing that you're not gouging people you know build trust through your knowledge base like oh i might have to go ask someone but yeah i can talk to you about what these things are um and that's where like i said i think i'm kind of coming now on the other side where i've had enough of those consultations over the years um where i've actually become a little less specific you know like even now when i go over like let's say blood work and liver enzymes are off i'll say well we have five different markers of those five markers, three are abnormal and they're about six to eight times normal. This isn't great. I don't tell them what AST is. Mm -hmm. I don't tell them what total bilirubin is, unless for some reason, like they it's ask. a, they ask, yeah. and, you know, and I, and a lot of times I'll just say, well, you know, the, the important thing here and they'll say, well, what is the number exactly? I'm like, well, we need to watch out on how we have this conversation because if I tell you that your feline patient's ALT is 465, then you're going to be worried if it's 468. You know, I said, so we need to, you know, understand and respect. And that's when I bring diagnostic medicine and clinical medicine back into it. I'm like, we need to respect what the values are showing us, but we need the trend of what those numbers are doing with respect to clinical symptoms and response to therapy and, you know, th those types of things. So again, I've, I've become quicker because I've really just sort of been like, all right, these caregivers most of the time have practically no understanding of anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, any of this stuff. They just need to know, is everything going to be okay? Mm -hmm. So that's why, uh, uh, Caroline, when we talk about x-rays, it's like good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> How are the x-rays? Yeah. Are they bad? They're bad. Why? Because that doesn't look great. Cool. That's all you need. Yeah. You know, don't tell a radiologist. Um, right. you, know, but, uh, you know, but again, so that's, that's a part of it is they just find ways to kind of build trust um, and from that, once you build that trust, you're going to be able to establish reality. Um, and typically what ends up happening is if I, if I feel like I can't get a caregiver to actual reality, um, then I understand that there's usually a barrier. Uh, sometimes that barrier is denial. Sometimes that barrier is trust. Who are you? I don't know who you are. I want a second opinion. I got to take it to my vet because that's someone that I trust. Mm -hmm. Cool. Then we're probably not actually going to get any further here on consultation. Yep. I'm out. Yep. You know, what do you, what do you want? You know, and that's kind of the same thing. What 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 would you Where, like us to do? Right. Yeah. And I do now a little bit more in clinical practice. I will focus a bit more on uh, that patient servitude aspect. Yeah. So if I have one of those, you know, extremely geriatric cats, very little quality of life, I say, listen, part of my job is to give your patient a voice in this conversation. So I'm going to have to tell you the hard things and pull the Band-Aid on some of these things so you understand how your cat or your dog right. is in this conversation. So I'm more of a vehicle to you understanding where they're at. Right. And, you know, and then it's just, it's just those things. People hear suffering, quality of life, pain, everyone uses their own word, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, I I knew he was suffering, but I didn't realize he was in pain. And it's right. like, well, I, in my brain, I would have assumed those two things were the same thing, but they're not for they're most not people. Always, right? yeah. yeah. So that's, that's where, you know, yeah. that's how you kind of navigate those conversations on all of it from like financial to, you know, uh, treatment plan, diagnostic result uh, on all of this. I still try to dial it back to being like, okay, cool. Diagnostic medicine, clinical medicine, most human caregivers coming in are going to be on the side of, I don't know if there's any other kind of caregivers. It doesn't matter. <laughs> caregivers coming 
in, almost all of them are going to be focused on clinical medicine. And then at the time of discharge, they'll be like, well, what do I look for? And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, well, you've known your dog for the last 10 years. And you know that what brought you in my door is that your dog isn't what it's been for the last 10 years. So all you need to know is, does it get back to the way that it was? Is it still the same as it is right now? Or does it get worse? And they're like, well, how do I know what worse is? I said, well, you knew it was worse and that's what got you here. So it's not right. better than now. And trust they're like, your gut. Yeah, trust mm -hmm. your gut. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. I was like, yes. You know, um, so yeah, that, that's actually how I've kind of tightened up a lot of those consults is rather than being like, we well, have to check for pale gums and you have, what's their heart rate? And what's their resting okay. respiratory? Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, if you have a back dog, you should probably tell them when it's paralyzed, they need to come in. However, right. if it's better, you're good. Yeah. If yeah. it's worse, come back. And they're like, that makes sense. I'm yeah. like, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's it's clinical stuff. So I've actually driven more of my consults towards gut and empowering people to understand that they don't need to be doctors. They don't need to be scientists. They don't yeah. need to have the numbers. Right. They don't need mm -hmm. to have, and actually I tell them that, like, that's what you pay me for. Cause right. then I know those things and I'm going to help guide you as you go through your decision-making process. Yeah. It's, that's such a big thing is like you, you, you may not know you have all the necessary information, yeah. but you actually have more than you realize, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. even though it's all just internal and yep. you can't put words to it. It's like a lot of it too is like, I, if you, if you feel yourself feeling, Feeling bad for your patient, yeah. like well, you're probably reading something. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. probably worth investigating. Yeah. So um, at this point, yeah, it has been about an hour and a half. Yeah, it's sure, sure. Been a very quick yeah, one. Guess, but yeah. before we go too crazy far, we still have Bree here. Do you have any other questions, kind of revolving around trust your gut? Anything that's on your mind? Um, to put you completely like, on the spot. On. I was just hundred percent on the, the, the spot. <laughs> that's fine. Um, it's it's okay if you don't. I mean, I, I guess I don't have any specific ones that I can think of the bat. It's just me kind of like when we were kind of talking, why aren't you doing what, what Carlos talking, kind of like self-reflecting <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I am still listening, but kind of self-reflecting oh, yeah. on what connects yeah. in my own life is that when I talk to Boo about, I can feel it slipping away, how to get back and everything. Um, just in the future and as this like I just ended the worst year of veterinary school yeah. in the history of veterinary yeah. school and it, all online it was a triumph for sure so I'm like trying to get back yeah. to where I, I was in first year because yeah. we talk about how like oh vet school sucks it's yeah, awful yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like it's gonna drag you across the floor but like in my first year I was like like am I going to be the same yeah, vet school yeah, right yeah, like so are we sure about yeah. this I don't know it was okay but then second year hit and you're like oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what everyone's there talking is, about right. there it is so <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to get back into that point and yeah. um, just kind of find like how I'm like I can see future me in yeah. 10 years and five years but how am I going to get there and then if I if I find the right places I need to be at how am I going to get there <laughs> kind yeah. of thing but also knowing that it's going to be fine it'll yeah. work out and um yeah, I'm just kind of going through that. I don't have any specific Perfect. That's but, not a problem. Um, yeah, I just really love having the conversations and talking about these things because that's what it brings out. You think about self it, you self-reflect. Yeah. You're like, I never thought about that, but yeah. now I have, and yeah. now I feel better about life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, well, technically it is Tuesday, which means technically mm. it is Tuesdays with Caroline. Yes. And I remember about a year ago, we did ask Caroline over the phone to take us out of the podcast, yes. and she said yes. Yes. So if she would want to do the outro... She's more than welcome to do so. Yeah. It's really easy. I just, all the words vacate my brain oh, immediately whatever. when you ask me to say that. <laughs> yeah. All right, fine. You got it. There's okay. a camera right there. So thank you for joining us for another Tuesdays with Caroline and Bree as well. And we'll see you on the next one. All right.